Welcome to Sharpen, a series from the Alpha Psi chapter of Beta Upsilon Chi. Sharpen is a leadership development program designed to help grow and empower Christian men to become faithful leaders in their organizations, families, and workplaces. Let's get started. Welcome for our fifth and final session of Sharpen. Uh, today we'll be talking about grow and empower great leaders, see and develop potential. So I'm joined again by our founding president, Logan Lovelace, and this week also again by Carrie Curry, our spiritual advisor. Welcome, man. Good to be here. Great to be with you. Yeah, good to be with you too. Uh, so I'm really excited to jump into what we'll be talking about. Like I said, grow and empower. This language actually comes from our chapter's mission statement. The line is that we grow and empower men to be faithful leaders in their organizations, families, and workplaces. So this is really the heart behind Sharpen itself. It also implies that to have someone to grow and empower means we were also grown and empowered ourselves. And so our job is to continue that. So we'll be talking about things like mentorship, delegation, discipleship, and all of that. So on the topic of growth, when I say growth, I don't mean that we're all growing in the same direction. More what I mean is we're all growing into our own full potential, given our unique personality and abilities, some of the things that we talked with week one. And so as your job as a leader is to help other people achieve that for themselves, uh, as well as for yourself. So really what this starts with is seeing potential in other people, seeing where they are now, and then also what they can be. And so, you know, with our pledges, we don't expect the same level of maturity and discipline uh, that we would out of our seniors. And you can put this in a work context, like employees are not expecting the same thing out of a recent grad as they would from maybe a 50-year-old industry veteran. What they're looking for is just something to work with. So this is something that personally for me is actually a little harder identifying these things, but um, something that has really helped me is seeing other people do this for myself. And this goes to what's called the ICNU conversation. Like you can think of it as the actual letters ICNU, uh, but it's also the sentence like ICNU, this trait. And and I think of times where people have done this for me. I think of my high school Bible study leader. He told me, I see in you a man of consistency. Uh, my wrestling coach told me that I see in you a natural leader. My mock trial coach in high school said, you know, I see in you someone with a mind for strategy. And all of these traits, th these are things that meant a lot to me that I've carried with me. And all of these are traits that I've grown into, but probably wouldn't have been able to develop if it wasn't for someone to actually say it to me first and uh, call it out and uh, give me the confidence to believe it. So yeah, as a leader, really getting comfortable with saying that to your people, I see in you this area of potential. And so really what this means as a leader is regardless of your rank, uh, becoming a student of those that you work with. And the best leaders know not to approach everyone the same way. They know how to identify each of their people's strengths and then how to play into those. So you might find that there's certain personality types maybe that you clash with. Uh, but instead of getting frustrated with this, try and see if you can figure out what it is that drives that person of, of why they act the way that they are and how that could actually be a strength instead of a weakness. 
This is also why uh, personality assessments are just so commonplace in businesses and other workplaces because it gives a shared language to what everyone's strengths are and how to interact with them, how to lean into those and uh, how to know what is driving the other person. So you might hear of tests like the Enneagram. It's very popular in Christian circles. Also strengths finders, uh, Myers-Briggs, True Colors, the Predictive Index. There's a whole lot of these, uh, but if you're in a workplace or, or an organization that uses this, I would suggest that you pay attention to it. Similarly, when building a team, we want people that are well-rounded, uh, diverse. We want a well-rounded, diverse team uh, of people, but not necessarily people who are all individually well-rounded, if that makes sense, because we need people who all are really able to excel in different areas, different strengths, and who can fill in our own blind spots and people that we can do that for as well. So again, this goes back to week one about know thyself and being able to identify these in others people in other people. But yeah, ultimately, you know, great leaders are just really dialed into their people. Um, and, you know, whether that's through encouragement and celebrating small wins, whether it's through um, uh, calling out ways to improve in other people, uh, we're, we're really trying to balance that as a way to help everyone reach that place. So I'll, I'll ask you guys, like, is there a time that comes to mind of maybe when someone told you, you know, I see in you like this area of potential and how did that impact you? I think the, the first piece that comes to my mind and possibly the most relevant to anyone listening um, is I was on a backpacking trip and on top of we joke to call Mount Sinai, I was with Matt Gerges. Um, he was my young life leader of geez, six, seven years. And he was telling me about college and his experience in a fraternity called Bucks. Um, and he said to me, I see in you someone who could lead a chapter of Bucks, someone who could get a chapter of Bucks started. And that was so far off my radar and so far off my belief in myself, I almost laughed. Um, but he spoke truth into that and loved me with that and walked alongside of me in that and connected me to you know, Nationals and said, hey, I believe in this guy. And then I got a call from Nationals that said, hey, this guy, Matt, says you know, he sees in you someone worth starting a Bucks chapter. And so like in a way he saw potential in me that I wasn't even acting on and spoke it into existence and spoke it into action. And so that was an incredible, I mean, life altering, trajectory altering, and just that one sentence, that one intentional conversation for me. And Logan, you're living it out. I mean, we've watched that, you know, for the past four years and it's been great. I think for me, it was, uh, you know, having people, especially in the church, come along beside me and say, I see how you enjoy investing in people. And they really challenged me to to look at that more seriously, even in the discipleship role, which is what I've done really for the last 15 years, has come along beside men ages 18 to 26 and really walk with them. Uh, and I'm so glad that someone pointed that out in me because that's been really the greatest blessing of my life is to be able to do that. Uh, that's really good. I, I want to kind of go off of that and the idea of discipleship and mentorship. You know, I mean, to be able to pour out and grow other people, we also need to be poured into ourselves. So this really speaks to trying to find a mentor uh, or, or a discipler. That would be the more, uh, you know, Christian spiritual context of mentorship. But finding that person at every level of your career, every stage of life, who's investing into you that you've given permission to speak into your life and uh, encourage you and also call out, you know, inconsistencies in areas of growth. So 
Um, but what, what would you all say is the biggest things you look for uh, first in finding a mentor and then second in finding someone to mentor or to disciple? I think one of the most ironic things for me was the person that mentored me initially sought me out. And I didn't even realize at the time they were mentoring me. They would come back and they would see me on a weekly, every other week basis, just check in, ask me how I was doing, Uh, would bring up things like my faith walk. But I didn't realize what was happening at the time, but they kept investing in me and the conversations grew deeper. They grew richer. And uh, I think that was probably the one thing that has stuck with me, that I want to be a good listener and listen to the guys that I'm walking with to see where they're at and come along beside them like uh, the guy that came along beside me did. Yeah, that's great. I think what I hear in that and what I've experienced myself is we want to find someone that has shown us proof that they have loved us more than they've loved themselves. Um, in other words, that they've sacrificed for us, that they've gone above and beyond to display the, display the love of Christ for us. And so if someone is trying to mentor me or give me advice that I've never seen them put my interests above theirs before, I'm not going to trust that what they're saying is always for my best, that they're always looking out for me. And so that's a, a big piece of what I'm looking for. And it's something we've talked about repeatedly through Sharpen 2. I want to look at the fruit of that person's life. If I'm not seeing God's grace abounding, um, not you know not prosperity gospel stuff, but I'm not seeing God move. If I'm not seeing God stir and build up people in their life, then I'm not going to trust that they can do that for my life. I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And then, as far as you know, thinking about okay, how do you decide who you can mentor? Um, I mean, God puts people in our lives for a reason, and I I don't think it's very often we're going to have to go out and search high and low for someone to mentor. It's often someone he's put within our grasp, within our reach. Um, And so I think you you can start looking there and you start looking with people who've given you the right to be in their life. People have invited you in, people who have, you know, Carrie, I know that's how you often start. If Once someone starts texting you or reaching out to you, that is your invitation. And once you have that invitation, don't tiptoe across it. Don't like worry about saying the wrong thing or encouraging them too much. Like if they've opened that door, if they've given you that bridge, walk across that with them. Um, so I think it starts with, yeah, who's God got in your life and who's given you, who's given you an inroad, who's opened a door, who's cracked a door for you. And you know, how can you walk through that? Exactly. That's kind of like my morning prayer. You know, God, don't let me miss anything you have for me today. Slow down my pace. Keep my eyes open a little bit wider because he does. He's so faithful in putting people in our lives that he knows that we can touch and that we can walk with. Yeah. So let's say that you feel like God's put someone in your life to uh, pour into and to mentor. Um, Like, where do you even start with that? Like identifying another person's just their unique uh, strengths and potential, or maybe it's someone that's on a team that you're leading that you're trying to grow. Like, how do you identify what it is that makes them special and makes them really add value? And, and how do you develop that? I A lesson I learned the hard way. Um, you can't be someone who says, oh, hey, I see you're at point A. Point B is where you want to be. Point B is success. Point B is whatever, happiness. Point B is spiritual maturity, whatever you want to label it. I'm just going to show up in this person's life. I'm going to be their savior. I'm just going to push them on over to point B and I'm going to help them figure it all out. That's not how discipleship, mentorship, any of that works. You show up where they're at. 
you show up with them at point A, you say, okay, this is where we're at. And then you walk alongside them as they go to Z and then to L and then M and then D and then mm-hmm. back to B. You know, you walk that with them and you show up right where they're at. And then as far as, okay, so you show up where they're at. Now, how do I act? I, I really think the biggest part of mentorship is just asking really good questions and just like, you don't, you don't tell them this is the truth. You say, okay, you believe this. Tell me why. Okay, I see a little hole there. Tell me about that little hole. And you help them, you guide them, and you ask questions, but you let their mind and their spirit walk through that. And you are just kind of there to put up some fence posts, say, no, 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 that's a lie. You're believing a lie. Let me, I'm going to block that one out. That's not true. Let's pivot, go a different direction. And you just stay consistent. And sometimes that can be a conversation. Sometimes that can be years of conversations. Depends on what's going on in their life. But you show up and you aren't changing anybody. You're seeing them where they're at and you're just there for the spirit to guide. And you're just kind of keeping them in and safe and in the center of God's will. Now, that's really good. The one thing I would say that's a little bit different with me, since I'm a little bit older, is that uh, I honestly believe that when God puts someone in my life, he has a purpose for that relationship. And I found that most success comes from building the relationship first, really getting to know that person, asking them a lot of questions about, you know, their upbringing, their faith walk. And typically if someone's reaching out to me, there's probably something in their life. They just want to have me walk with them on. It may be purpose. It may be career. It may be a relationship uh, that they're in. Uh, Maybe something they're struggling with. It may just be a thorn that they have that they just haven't been able to extract Uh, or which is pretty common is they just want to develop their relationship with Christ and they want, you know, uh, someone just to walk with them, challenge them, put books, put scripture in front of them just for great dialogue. Definitely. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here, what, what I think of when I think of, you know, discipleship or mentorship is really, you know, influencing other people toward growth and helping other people reach their full potential, whatever that means. And that can take place in a one-on-one setting. Uh, It can be a more spiritualized context or a more secular context. It can be in a work setting or a church setting. Like It's pretty universal uh, of whatever it is that you're helping someone along toward. Um, It's just like, hey, this is someone who's a stage of life that's ahead of me or someone in their career who's a stage ahead of me where I want to be. Uh, let me learn from that person. Let me learn from their failures and their successes. Um, because a lot of times people are going through things that uh, we can benefit from instead of having to learn the hard way ourselves. So uh, kind of along those lines of growing other people is that idea of empowerment. And again, what that looks like is just Uh, helping other people reach their full potential. And sometimes this means giving them an increasing amount of ownership and freedom in their work. Sometimes it means uh, turning up the dial on how much responsibility we give, how much uh, challenge that we offer someone else. So you can think in a box setting, maybe you're an officer who has a couple of chairs and uh, this is delegating more, giving more over to that person and giving them more reign to operate. There's a a concept called flow state. I don't know if you guys have heard of, but um, basically what this is, it refers to the optimal balance between someone's level of challenge and skill. 
And it's really interesting. So if someone has too much challenge, right, uh, and not enough skill, that's anxiety. That's that's a pretty common experience uh, where you feel like you're in over your head, you're overwhelmed, uh, and people are not productive when they're anxious like that. Sometimes it takes being thrown into the flames to, to learn, but um, sometimes that can be not productive. And then the opposite of that is where you don't have enough challenge and you have all the skill that you would need. And that's just boredom. That just means you're underutilized and you feel like you have more you could offer, but you're not being productive in that either. And so kind of the the sweet uh, medium right in between there, that, that middle spot is called flow. That's the flow state. Um, it's like when you're in the zone, it's where you feel like you have all the skill you need, but uh, the right amount of challenge to where it's fun and you're growing. And so as a leader, you know, a part of what you're trying to do is put your people uh, in that flow state of managing how much challenge they have while still helping them grow in their skills uh, and, and empowering them to reach those places on their own, to uh, uh, reach success by finding their own solutions and so um, that, that's kind of this other idea of empowerment that we'll explore here. So this also includes planning for our successors in leadership, which is sometimes not fun to think about. Um, but especially in Bucks, you know, we have such a quick turnover in leadership that even from the beginning, especially as an officer, even from the beginning of your term, you need to be thinking about, hey, what's the next guy in my role going to do about this? How can I prepare him to step into that? Uh, and so this also applies in the workplace. It applies in ministry. Um, it applies in any organization. And uh, this is tied to the idea of being willing to delegate away things, to delegate uh, not just to delegate tasks, but even the outcomes themselves um, and giving over that authority. Uh, because it, I think it's Gabe McKinney, actually. He says that giving tasks away develops followers. Giving authority away develops leaders, which I just love that so much. So um, one more thing I'll throw out there is uh, when we talk about growing someone up uh, into leadership themselves, it's this kind of multiplicative effect. Um, this, of course, is a common idea in discipleship, you know, like Francis Chan has Multiply, the book um, on, on discipleship, uh, which is a great book. Um, but again, in the workplace, there's this, it's called the apprenticeship model to where you know, like you can think of a, a craftsman, like a blacksmith who takes on a novice. And so kind of the general pattern here is one, I do, you watch. Two is I do, you help. Three, you do, I help. And then four is you do, I watch. And so this is a very general model, but it helps you to give a framework to uh, helping someone learn by doing. And then by the end of that, the person is then able to take on someone else to do the same thing and become a master themselves, so to speak. So uh, these are all just different ways to get you thinking, uh, to start on this idea of empowering and growing. Um, but let me ask the two of you kind of on this idea of delegation. Um, what, what is maybe a lesson that you've learned about delegation in your own experience? Uh, is this something that comes easy to you? Is it something you've had to grow in? Just t tell me about your experience. I would say for me, there's there's been a couple of uh, recent things that I've done uh, and been involved in. Once in our church, we've had great transition happen in the last year uh, where two major uh, uh, positions, our uh, lead pastor and our executive minister transitioned out and new transitioned in. And it was 
uh, really interesting to watch that happen. But being involved in church leadership, I was really an, uh, an int- intricate part of all that happening and watching new leaders emerge and empowering them to lead, knowing that it's not going to look like the people that led before. And uh, uh, that was really rewarding. And I think if, if that had been micromanaged, it probably wouldn't have been successful. But because the empowerment was given, the delegation was offered, and it was, it was pretty amazing really to see what could happen because the gifts had already been identified. The, leaders, the leadership had already been identified. So then it was just the impl- implementation of it. So, uh, but I think that that could have been micromanaged, that could have been controlled more. But I think when you actually release, you surrender to allowing someone to use their gifts and actually lead, uh, it uh, uh, really blossoms. It, it makes the leader blossom and uh, embrace their own uh, way of doing things. And uh, I think the hardest thing is pride. If you really want to know, I think it's, you know, we believe sometimes that we know how to do things better and pride can get in the way. So I would say the biggest challenge to transitioning, empowering is shelving your pride, recognizing gifts in others, working beside them and letting them go to do it, knowing that you're there in the background to come along beside them and help them. And even failing is a good thing. When we fail, we, we grow from that. So uh, those would be the things I would say. Yeah. Well, and I, I even think of it just in Bucks too. I mean, you know, I was uh, founding Pledge Captain and I've watched two other Pledge Captains come after me about to have a fourth. And it's just interesting. I mean, this is across all officer roles and even outside of Bucks, but specifically in Bucks, you really get to see how different guys approach the role. Uh, and sometimes it's like, I wouldn't do it that way, but um, getting okay with that. And actually it's like, wow, hey, I would have never thought of that. Uh, That's really clever. And I actually really think that's a great change. Um, So yeah, being able to welcome different styles and and step back and kind of let your ego um, step off of it to see that happen. If you want something done right, do it yourself. See, I'm assuming... Everybody filled that in before I said it. And that's just such a proof of what society crams in our head over. I mean, your subconscious filled that in before I was done because we're just told that over and over again. And there is a big part of us that just believes that. It's like, if I want this done right, if I want it done my way, I'm going to just have to do it myself. I just think that gets back to pride and it's so deep rooted. It's the assumption that the right way is my way. And it's this really limited tunnel vision view of what we're doing, that there's only one right way to do it. There's, there's no one right way for most things we're doing on this earth. And, and the way I sometimes think of it is just in life and in God's creation and everything he's given us to do, it's like this beautiful and chaotic painting, this massive painting. We've all been given a brush and we've all been given a few places to paint. But the reality is we don't get to paint every corner of that picture. And there's a, there's a time when we, we transition, you know, it's like, this is my last line in this section. And then someone else takes over and like, that's their area to paint. God has given them the artistic ability to paint that in the way that they've been gifted to. And you have to trust that one, the God of the universe, the all knowing, ever powerful God has given them the right gifts and the right abilities and artistic talent to be able to, paint that well. And two, 
you trust that they can see everything else that's going on around that. They see what you've painted, what the person on the other side of them painted on the other side. And you trust that they will take all that in, learn from that, and they will then continue to paint that in their own beautiful way. And it's like, it's not, it's not perfect according to you. It's not your painting. It's God's painting. And it's, yeah, like I said, it's beautiful. It's chaotic. But it's the way God intended it to be when we do it in that way. And, you know, we talk about pride being a bad thing. Let's talk about the blessing of the other pride. When you do grow a leader and you stand back and watch them, there's this moment of being so proud of what they're doing and what they're accomplishing and how they're taking it to the next level. So there's a good pride that can actually emerge uh, from, you know, uh, empowering and recognizing gifts in others and watching them grow. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we can really watch and and actually see that as something to be proud of, almost like how you'd be proud of a child uh, for having grown up and and led well and owned it. Uh, absolutely. I, I think too, I have a hard time with when we talk about seeing developing potential in other people um, that feels hard to do when you don't have a title or a position, and especially when it's at a peer-to-peer level. Would you, how would you add on that? Or, or what does that look like to do that for other people when it's not from a position of rank or title? I think, I mean, whenever we talk about mentoring and discipleship, of course, an age difference or experience difference helps. It allows it to maybe feel more formal or expected. But I don't think that the true power that lies in discipleship is anything to do with age at all or anything to do with position at all there's everything to do with who god has created you to be and what he has put into your life and what roadmap he's had you follow and i mean it's tough this again gets back to right it's tough to like the, the idea of someone mentoring me or teaching me something that's younger than me like that's so easy and feasible i mean if god walked them through an experience already like they have something to give me um and so I just think the reality is like we have to adapt this mindset of like we will just learn from anything and everywhere. Uh, we will take anything God is putting before us as an opportunity to do better. I mean, if we see someone um, who has like a best practice and who's doing something super well, I mean, it, it's on us to not learn from that person God has put into into our lives. Like we need to take those things seriously. And so as I think about if you're in that situation and like maybe you want to be coming alongside someone and you are a peer, um, maybe you don't have the age or the status difference. I think the first thing you got to do is throw out the assumption that that's what you need. And you got to throw out the assumption of like, okay, somehow I have to find a way to elevate myself. So this person looks up to me and now I can lead them. You don't need to elevate yourself. Um, you, you can show up right on their level, right where they're at, see them, you know, sometimes it starts with a conversation. You ask them about what's going on and you can get really vulnerable and just say, hey, I see that you're going through this. I heard you say this the other day and this has just been my experience. The Lord taught me a lot through it. And like, hey, if I can show up in your life, if I can be of help to you, if me telling you more about this is helpful to you, like let me know. I'm not going to force this on you, but I want to let you know I hear you, I see you, um, and I want to help you if that is something you want. Yeah, I think I think the age thing, since I'm older, would be the perspective and the experience. I mean, that's what I can bring to the table. But I've always thought that the discipleship journey is a is a growth for both parties. Um, I mean, perfect example would be over the last three years, we've had many book studies 
we've, we've done many books. Uh, and I always kind of think that I'm facilitating conversation, but I always leave those growing myself. I'm always challenged to get in the word more. So the conversations and the things that all of you have shared with me have grown me. I mean, they've sharpened me. So I think it's a, the, the whole process is, is growing together. For me, I just have had more probably experiences, more perspective that I can just shed some light on that. And maybe just tell you there's some roads that you don't want to go down. There's things that I've experienced that I don't want you to experience. So learn from, learn from my life experiences. Yeah. I, one other thought came to mind as you were talking through that, Carrie, was again, maybe just something more tangible. If I'm a guy going through something, I want to help a brother. I want to help a friend, a coworker get through something or, or grow. Um, first in a spiritual context, I might start with that person and say, Hey, I believe God has given you an ability to reach this level. I think he's given you an ability to lead as a treasurer for bucks or even in a secular context. Hey, I believe that you are gifted and talented enough to have the best sales in this semester, whatever, like however, whatever you see in them. Cause obviously if you want to grow them and you want to help them reach something, you're seeing a potential. Um, and so one, you just call that out Two, I might even ask this, like, Hey, what do you think? How do you think you're doing at that? Like, I know you're capable of it. Do you feel like you're there? Do you feel like you want to be there? Do you believe in that? And then as you ask those questions, like, hey, have you, maybe have you thought about this? Or have you thought about doing it this way? Or, hey, I hear you said you did this and you did this. What if you like you combine those things? And so you start with this, I believe in you. Then you start with, okay, how are you perceiving yourself in that? And then the third thing is like you walk with them and you almost start, it becomes like you sit next to each other and you start to brainstorm. Oh my God, wait, this is a really cool like goal. This is a really cool opportunity it's like brainstorm a workshop, how I can reach there. And it becomes you two on the same side. You're still helping them grow. You're still being obedient to the spirit. You're still leading them, but they're your peer and you didn't need any power, explicit power to do that. Yeah. I mean, everything I'm hearing you say goes back to that idea of influence, which we've talked about a few times over the last several weeks, but just the idea that leadership is not tied to a position um, it, it's all influence. And I think it was Simon Sinek, uh, you know, a leadership guru. He says something like leadership is not a rank. It's a choice. Um, that choice to uh, invest yourself in other people and in their success and development, uh, and also to make yourself available for that, um, to call out and encourage other people into growth. And even just being told, like you said, Logan, like being told by someone else, I see this gift in you or I noticed that you did this thing and I just wanted to tell you, thank you for doing that. Um, man, that goes so far. It's, it goes really far from someone who's older than you uh, just because we tend to look up to people who are older than us, but that's definitely not a requirement to be able to just encourage other people um, to be observant of ways that they are um, caring for others well or how diligent they are in detail-oriented work or how um, willing they are to do things behind the scenes, like whatever it is, being able to notice that just goes so far. And then like you're saying, like see how you can work yourself into their success. I think that's a really good, that's a really good point. I, I think some of the greatest feedback or like I see news statements I've ever had have come from actually 
peers because in some ways you start to expect, oh, people older than me are kind of trying to kind of help me, you know, climb this ladder. They're they're there to help me. People younger than me are learning from me. So there, there's something societally about believing like they're naturally going to have some nice things to say if, if they're in your life. But something about a peer who again, societally maybe isn't expected to say these affirming things to you. Something about someone coming alongside of you and saying, Hey man, I'm just, I'm seeing you do this and it's awesome. And I love that. Or, Hey, like you did this for me. I really appreciate it. That like that peer to peer feedback is so powerful. And if I could encourage you, you know, as a, as a college man to do that for your peers, just come alongside them and just recognize what they're doing. Probably, probably they're not expecting it. And probably that's what they need to hear from you as you seeing that and calling that out and loving them for, for their, what they're doing in your life. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's no greater thing than godly men encouraging other godly men to grow and to uh, uh, pick them up when they're down and uh, celebrate them when they're up and uh, to just to recognize those gifts. And I, I know at many chapter meetings, you know, I've, I've left and I've uh, texted somebody just to say, I saw something tonight that really made me, you know, smile. And I think that means probably more than I realize when somebody reads that. I know what that means to me. If I get, you know, a message or a a handwritten note or something of encouragement, it goes a long way. It really does. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you, men, for joining me for this conversation. It's been really good. Um, This has been Carrie Curry and Logan Lovelace talking about growing and empowering men. Thank you so much for following along with these last five weeks. Uh, Hopefully it's been a helpful resource for you as you explore what it means to grow as a godly Christian man and leader. Take care and God bless.